If you're able to pay taxes, clothe and feed yourself, raise children, or all the other things that come with being a grown human, I fully trust that you know when it's appropriate to step away and grab a coffee, put in a load of laundry, or run a quick errand. My bottom line is that I hire adults and then I treat them like adults. Welcome to Want to Work There, a podcast that explores what really makes a company a great place to work. I'm your host, Jill Falska, and together we'll explore not only what goes into building a great company culture, but also exactly how to implement those best practices within your own workplace. If you're here, you believe that a better world of work is possible, and I can't wait to build it together. Let's go. Welcome back to the second episode of the Want to Work There podcast. I am so glad you're back with me today. We're going to be tackling a topic that is really top of mind for a lot of managers. And that is, how do you manage well when you're remote? Remote work is something that many people experience for the first time at the beginning of the pandemic, but it's actually something I've been doing and advocating for for over 10 years at this point. During that time, I have actually learned a handful of lessons, some of them the hard way, when it comes to managing a team remotely. So I wanted to share them with you today in the hopes that you can learn them the easy way versus the hard way and feel a little more confident about managing a team remotely. Whether you are still fully remote or are navigating hybrid work, I know that these five tips will make both you and your employees experience better. So let's dive right in with tip number one. Tip number one is your idea of remote work autonomy isn't necessarily shared by your whole team. So you need to be explicit. Now, as someone who's worked remotely for 10 years, I have established my own set of norms that guide how I interact with others on a day-to-day basis. As is so common in life, though, I began to assume that my own beliefs were shared by my team without really considering that they may need to be shared explicitly. This became actually really clear when I hired a very senior person onto my last team who herself had been in many leadership roles prior to this one. Given that, it never occurred to me that she might actually feel the need to check in before making a spontaneous run to Starbucks. But that was exactly the message I got on her second week at the job. Now, to be clear, we weren't scheduled for a meeting or any necessary communication. Instead, she was really worried that if I emailed or slacked her while she was gone, it would be a problem that she hadn't informed me she was away. In this case, I quickly let her know that she never needed to give me the heads up on these kind of things. I personally fall strictly into the camp that adults are adults for a reason. If you're able to pay taxes, clothe and feed yourself, raise children, or all the other things that come with being a grown human, I fully trust that you know when it's appropriate to step away and grab a coffee, put in a load of laundry, or run a quick errand. My bottom line is that I hire adults and then I treat them like adults. In other words, I've hired you because I full-heartedly believe you can get any agreed-upon work done in a way that's best for both you and simultaneously respectful of the team's needs as a whole. If that means you go to the grocery store at two in the afternoon so you can avoid crowds and then work on your presentation at 8 p.m. when the kids are in bed, go ahead and do that. I don't need to know. But 
Clearly, someone she worked for previously had a different take on how available she needed to be at any given moment. And that assumption followed her into the new role. From that day on, I never assumed that my employees share my assumptions about remote working norms. I'm now super upfront with my philosophy on remote working and what I both expect and don't expect from them. Which brings me to my next tip. Tip number two, always set explicit communication norms. Just because many of us shifted to a remote work environment during the pandemic does not mean that some of our old beliefs about work didn't follow us home. For instance, one of the biggest reasons people didn't go remote before the pandemic is because having employees in an office gives a false sense of control. Basically, it's the belief that if you can see your employees are there, you can be assured they're working. While there are so many reasons this belief is problematic, something I am sure we will talk about in a future episode, a version of this big brother mentality lived on via communication norms when many shifted to remote work at the beginning of the pandemic. Many employees began using the swiftness of their response to a message as a way to show that they were indeed working. It was the communication version of butts in seats. And it wasn't even a conscious choice for most of us. It was just something that we fell into collectively. Those who used Slack became extra aware of their green available button. What did it mean if it wasn't on? God forbid your manager noticed and assumed you were off binge watching old episodes of the OC while covered in Cheeto dust on your couch. In our minds, the only way to ensure they knew you weren't doing this was to make sure that the green light was on, which ironically is something you could easily accomplish even if you were binging old episodes of the OC while covered in Cheeto dust on your couch. If it wasn't Slack, it was email. A quick response time to emails showed you were working. So it became something you prioritized, always keeping a tally on the pings and the pop-up notifications that meant something new had come into your inbox. The problem is that when we're constantly monitoring our communication channels in an effort to show that we're really working, we never get the time to truly do the impactful, heads-down, focused work that matters most. And it's these blocks that actually produce the best results. As a remote manager, it's your job to set communication expectations that, yes, ensure business needs are being met, but that also give your employees the ability to check out of the responsive aspect of constant communication and focus on the work that really matters. Practically, this means setting expectations for when and how communication happens. What type of messages are for email versus Slack? And what is the designated response time for each? For Slack, maybe you'd like a response within four hours. For email, maybe it's 24. Even thinking about this delayed response time is making some of you itchy. I have no doubt. If it does, I challenge you to really pay attention to the type of communication that goes out over a week. Do any of the Slack messages really need a response time quicker than four hours? Take a tally. If everything coming through Slack does, then reflect on why that is. Could the information have been sent sooner? Does the customer request really need immediate attention or are you creating the urgency? Yes, some truly urgent things happen. Although, unless you're a trauma surgeon, I'd argue it's less often than you feel it is. When those moments do happen, most of us have and can be reached by cell phone. I have always told my team, if it's super important and during working hours, 
I'll call you. And even then, I don't expect a response sooner than an hour. Because in our line of business, there was truly nothing that needed handling sooner than 60 minutes. People talk about wanting better work cultures. This is it. This is one of the ways you create it. I guarantee you that if I polled a group of people on whether they'd like a team happy hour or more leniency on the required response time to emails, most, if not all of them, would vote for the latter option. The norms around how and why you communicate are an integral part of culture. And as a manager, you have at least some say in how that works within your team. Take advantage of it. I promise you won't regret it. Being a great manager is hard. Like, really hard. I used to preach that it was every company's duty to provide management training for their entire team. But then I became a director of people and culture for a SaaS startup and realized just what kind of barriers were in the way. Design the training in-house? I could never find the time. Hire a third party to come and teach it? Sure, but then I'd need to re-engage them every time a new manager joined, and I just didn't have the budget for that kind of long-term engagement. In my head, I envisioned the startup version of management training, a self-led, reusable program that consisted of audio lessons, thoughtful exercises, helpful templates, and an internal facilitation plan for cohort-style learning. So I built it. And it quickly became apparent that I wasn't the only person looking for a more cost-effective, scalable solution. If you also fall into that camp and want to learn more, you can visit wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. That's wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. All right, let's get back to the show. Speaking of regret, one of mine is the basis of tip number three. When you're a remote manager, never start a difficult conversation without first making sure that the person on the other end is in a safe space to have it. One of the hardest lessons I learned as a remote manager is that you can never assume who is or isn't in the room with anyone you're talking to over Zoom. I will never forget an employee stopping me in the middle of revealing something extremely sensitive so that he could get his seven-year-old out of the room. I still kick myself for it to this day. Difficult conversations are always tricky. And one of the things I've learned about them over the years is that you don't want to make small talk to kick them off. However, when it comes to having them remotely, I now always start the conversation by asking, are you in a safe space to have a sensitive conversation? If the answer is yes, then we proceed. And if it's no, then we come up with a different solution. Sometimes that means the person needs to move to another room. Other times it means waiting for a few hours until a partner gets home so the kids have someone else to be with them. As a former head of people, I know that delaying the conversation is not always possible. In that case, I really recommend letting the employee know in advance that you need to have a sensitive conversation and requesting that they are in a safe space to do so when you call. While I still have regrets about learning this lesson the hard way, I'm glad I can now pass it on to you in the hopes that you never have to repeat my mistake. Which also brings me to lesson number four. Do not move your one-on-ones. 
One of my most toxic management traits, especially as a young manager, was how frequently I would move or sometimes even cancel my weekly one-on-ones with team members. For a variety of reasons, I really struggled to prioritize them. That is, until a brave team member called me out on it. She shared that me constantly rescheduling our one-on-ones made her feel like she wasn't important and valued as a team member. Meanwhile, she was killing it, which allowed me to justify to myself that she really didn't need the time with me, right? Wrong. Inadvertently, I'd made one of my best employees, someone whose resignation would be incredibly painful, feel like she didn't matter. I'd like to say I immediately changed my ways and never looked back. But unfortunately, I fell into old habits only three or four months down the line. It took me learning the lesson a few times to really understand just how important one-on-ones are and why that importance is only amplified when you're working with a remote team. As many of you have now experienced, there are a ton of advantages to working from home. But one of the disadvantages, especially for extroverts, is a feeling of isolation. While you may spend your entire week on calls, your employees may only have a few meetings each week. When you constantly move or cancel that time with them, not only are you showing them that they aren't a priority, but you're also foregoing the chance to provide an important sense of connection to both you and the company as a whole. When I work with remote managers today, my number one role for them is one-on-ones are more important than anything else. Always make time for them. I often recommend that it's a mandatory part of management, an expectation that is set before someone takes the role and then is enforced with vigor. But whether or not it's a mandatory part of your current role as a remote manager, I highly recommend adopting the process and then sticking to your commitment week after week. Which actually brings me to my fifth and final tip. Don't just tell, show. The difference between words and actions makes all the difference when it comes to adoption of culture norms. This is even more true when working remotely because your employees aren't physically seeing your actions. More than ever, it's important for you to both walk the walk and talk the talk. Changing the way we work is hard and can even be scary from someone who's been told something by a manager in the past, only to find out that those words don't actually match the daily actions of the team. If you set new communication norms for the team, you need to be the first one to uphold them. That means not responding to every message immediately and not showing frustration or concern when a team member acts on the new communication guidelines and doesn't respond to an email you sent for almost 24 hours. The same can be said for your expectations around autonomy. On a Lattice webinar earlier this year, a senior manager shared a story about going to his daughter's swim meet early one afternoon. Earlier that quarter, a new work norm had been put in place for the entire company. They were now implementing available working hours, which if I'm remembering correctly, were from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. That was the block of time that you were expected to be online and available for engagement. Outside of that, it was up to you when you completed the remainder of your work, which brings us back to the early afternoon swim meet. While there, this senior manager was approached by someone who worked at the company, but not directly for him. They'd never met, but she recognized him from a company all hands and came up to introduce herself. She shared that seeing him there as someone very senior in the company, acting on the newly shared policy, 
put her at complete ease of utilizing it as well. The policy was no longer just words. She'd seen it in action. Now, it won't always be this obvious, but your team is watching what you do, not just what you say. Take the vacation time. Share that you booked a doctor's appointment during the day last Tuesday. Show up for the one-on-ones consistently. Walking the walk often will eventually build up trust that will allow employees to easily and quickly believe you when you talk the talk about something new. Well, there you have it. Five things I've learned over almost 10 years of managing people remotely. Here's a quick reminder of all five tips. Number one, your idea of remote work autonomy isn't necessarily shared by your whole team. So be explicit. Number two, always set clear communication norms. This will make it possible for your team to get their heads down most important work done. Number three, Never start a difficult conversation without first making sure that the other person is in a safe space to have it. Number four, prioritize your one-on-ones over all else. And number five, don't just tell, show. I would love to hear which one resonated with you most. You can find me on Instagram at want to work there. Just shoot me a DM and let me know. I also can't stress enough how excited I am for our next episode, where I sit down and talk about creating a powerful company vision with Lois Weinblatt. Trust me, you are not going to want to miss this. I'll see you back here then. This show was brought to you by wanttoworkthere.com and the incredible team at Podcasting for Creatives. No individual or company acting alone can change our societal beliefs about work, but together, we can create a new normal. If you like this episode, please consider passing it on to one or two people who share your passion for creating a better world of work. And until next time, please know I see you, I believe in you, and keep going. The work you're doing really matters. Mm